Hello and welcome to Buildings of Tomorrow. My name is John Lester and today we are talking about the European Green Deal. You know, this European Green Deal is a is a, a drive from the European Union, a drive within our, our industry to really push towards sustainability goals from a European perspective. And I'm really lucky today to be joined by Leo Bavetti. He is the Program Manager for the European Green Deal at Siemens Smart Infrastructure. Leo, thanks for joining us. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And, and you know, I think we're going to have quite a few discussions about the European Green Deal because it's not one thing, it's a collection of many things. And and that's where I'd like to start today uh, in this conversation is to get from you a bit of an, a view. You know, what is the European Green Deal? What 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 is within it and what does it mean and what is it for? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a collection of, uh, of many topics. And uh, let's start to to dig a bit into it and i would like to go back a little bit in history not too much but a bit in history uh, going back to the so-called paris agreement which was in 2016 and what does this uh, paris agreement tell us uh, there were uh, was a conference of about more than 190 parties and they agreed uh, on a, a legally binding international treaty on climate change to limit global warming well below two degrees preferably even to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. And uh, this was a bit of the starting point that in consequence, all over the world, uh, governments started to, to work on, on so-called green deals. So this already tells you that there is not one green deal. There are many green deals uh, around the world. I will come back, of course, a bit more in, in, in detail on the European one. Uh, but looking into the global perspective, so um, they are somewhat different in, uh, let's say, in the form or, or, or even in the scope sometimes, but uh, in, in a nutshell, they nevertheless share the common goal of driving the green transition and setting basically the foundation for post-pandemic recovery towards a greener and more equal uh, society. Uh, what is in the in the center of all this green deal? It's it's really the decarbonization topic, digitalization topic and sustainability are really the core measures. And uh, another thing that uh, is quite common to all the, the Green Deals is that governments work with both uh, regulatory measures as well as uh, financial uh, measures. Now, particularly coming back to the European Green Deal. So what is this? This is basically a roadmap to realign Europe's economy with the trajectory to net zero. So leaning towards implementing, uh, as I was mentioning, the Paris Agreement. Um, and building from there a more sustainable and fairer society. So it's a it's a major step forward uh, for climate policy in Europe. But uh, also, and this is a bit the front running uh, part of the European Green Deal, setting a strong signal to the world uh, to drive global climate action generally. Now, since uh, this uh, European Green Deal has been put in place, which was 2019, uh, there, uh, unfortunately, we had to experience the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, but this also uh, uh, brought to the table basically a common uh, understanding, a consensus uh, for uh, a green uh, recovery, uh, even more than it was only with the Green Deal framework. So in short, to the Green Deal basically, the, or the European Green Deal presents a transformational opportunity like basically no other in history. Mrs. von der Leyen mentioned even the word, uh, it's kind of a man of uh, a man on the moon moment here. So it's a commitment to remake Europe's economy for climate neutrality by 2050. 
So the, the, the interesting point is now what, what, is, uh, what, is, what are the main pillars, basically, of this uh, European Green Deal. One important element is that it consists of uh, numerous policy initiatives, uh, a set aiming to make Europe the first climate neutral continent by 2050, which already is a strong ambition, of course. But at the same time, it aims also to boost the economy, to improve people's health and quality of life, and also make sure that nobody is, is left behind in the complete process. So it's not only about the, the climate part, but also the economical part. Another central pillar I would like to mention, uh, and this is an important one, of course, uh, we must know at the heart of this uh, European Green Deal, there is a, a huge stimulus package uh, worth over 2 trillion euros uh, calculated in current prices. And this is basically the originally EU's long-term budget for 21 until 27, but was uh, later on topped uh, through the so-called next generation EU budget, which is basically a temporary instrument to uh, power the recovery of uh, COVID-19. Maybe then to uh, conclude on this general uh, European Green Deal uh, interaction, uh, would like to mention that there are uh, different air policy areas defined within this European Green Deal. And uh, some of them uh, relate to energy and climate sector, while others go beyond the EU energy policy, but still are important to combat uh, the climate change. Uh, just in the summary, maybe these policies, what are they? I just named them uh, as a headline. So it's a uh, climate action. It's about clean energy. It's biodiversity measures. It's about sustainable agriculture. It's about sustainable industry. Very important for us, it's also about building and renovating. It's about sustainable mobility. And the, the, the last area is basically eliminating pollution. So you see, basically, it's really an overarching uh, uh, program you can, can mention uh, that, uh, that tackles uh, really a lot of different topics. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much for the, the summary. And exactly that, that last point, that, or those last bullet points that you mentioned, gives a little bit of an insight on the, the breadth and the scope of this, this European Green Deal. It's huge, uh, and it covers so many different things. And before we dive into the detail and start to really talk specifically about the building industry, I, I want to touch quickly on, on, on where we're up to, because you mentioned this aspiration, this goal uh, for 2050. Where are we up to today, and what are the next steps at, at a high level uh, from from the European Green Deal perspective, uh, and, and what comes next for us? Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, it's uh, it's not uh, that uh, this uh, is a completely new topic. I mean, the climate change is, is already longer on the tape. I mentioned quickly the Paris Agreement just as one example on the pathway, right? Uh, but if we are talking about EU Green Deal, then we are mainly talking about uh, energy transition. And if we are talking about energy transition, then we are talking about uh, climate change uh, as well, mainly. And uh, one thing that I, I just want to mention uh, in the very beginning here, uh, for climate change, uh, basically the EU reference point normally is uh, 9090. So uh, just to, not to be mixed up with the pre-industrial level thing there. So uh, And uh, they work quite some initiatives along the road until the Green Deal came in place already. I do not mention all of them, but uh, there was a, a so-called climate and energy package, which was defined, I think, in 2009. And this already set out a target for the year 2020, which was uh, a target of a minus 20 percentage greenhouse gas emissions to be achieved. 
And uh, so, uh, guess what? So this uh, target was achieved in 2020, also, I must say, due to the, the, the COVID uh, pandemic. But in fact, it was achieved. But on the other hand, uh, we just talked before about being uh, the, the, the overarching target of 2050 means also that we are not yet there, of course. And along the way, then there were uh, different other packages. One was the climate and energy framework. And this one uh, started to talk about uh, 2030 targets. So interim targets towards the 2050 objective. And this target uh, said basically that uh, by 2030, uh, the union wants to achieve uh, minus 40 for zero greenhouse gas emissions target. And if you look at the current projections, then they uh, really indicate that we are not yet fully on the on the track towards this target. Even though we made the uh, progress, yes, in, in, in until 2020, but uh, we have to do more, and uh, and even more so. So uh, what uh, what came up uh, just last summer in 2021 was even a more ambitious target, and this was then embedded in in the so-called Fit for 55 package. And the 55 stands basically for the new interim target, the new milestone target for 2030, which means uh, minus 55% greenhouse gas emissions versus the 40 I mentioned uh, before. And uh, uh, so to, to achieve this at least, then uh, we, we need to achieve at least this minus 55% also to be on the pathway towards the uh, 2050 target uh, um, uh, and to be in line with the Paris Agreement uh, at, at, at the end of the day. So you could say basically, while the European Green Deal represents a general action plan to fight climate change, the Fit for 55 package offers the preparatory path to meet the targets of the European Green Deal. Uh, so it can also be considered as the kind of the vehicle to close the gaps of where we expect to be according to projections versus where we want to be on our journey. So you see there uh, was, was really a, a, a set of different packages put in place. The last one uh, being on the table, this uh, Fit for 55 package. Understand, and hey, that just gives uh, even more backup to. Uh, I like one of the statements you said before. This is kind of like the man on the moon moment. Uh, you know, this is has such a broad ranging impact on many different industries, uh, and really is is paving the way to make changes which just would not happen without this this regulatory and also the the stimulus packages that go with it. And fit for fifty five, fifty five percent. Uh, by 2030, remembering that we are somehow sneaking up uh, on the middle of 2022 is a good reminder of the of the, the huge improvements and implementations that happen that have to happen between now and then. So, so let's dive into this Fit for 55 package. And, and now I think I'm interested to, to also look a little bit more specifically around buildings, because here when we talk around the building industry, recognizing the you know the amount of energy, the amount of greenhouse gases that are created by by the operation of buildings. Um, what does that Fit for 55 package mean for the building industry particularly? Yes, sure. So uh, maybe I start still first a little bit on the Fit for 55 in general terms. Uh, so uh, I was, was mentioning, so the, the updated greenhouse gas emission target for 2030 is a minus uh, 55%. And for this, the, there are uh, different uh, proposals on the table that still need to be uh, released, uh, uh, one must say here. 
just to mention some of the proposals in in general context i come back to the building the relation to building just in in, in a minute here mm -hmm. so uh, one thing that is on the table is a new emission trading system for build specifically for buildings and road transport something that was not in place so far Another mechanism that is on the table is an introduction of a so-called carbon border adjustment mechanism. This basically is a mechanism really to avoid carbon leakage. So from uh, from one continent, uh, imports from one continent to another, so that uh, people do not start uh, green washing actions. Then we have also, for, for instance, uh, uh, things on the table like uh, uh, 55 percentage reduction of emissions from cars by 2030 or 100% emission reduction for new cars by 2035. So you see again, different areas, but now we're coming a bit, bit more closer to the, to the building site already. There is an, uh, an increase of uh, a renewable energy target, which was originally or so far uh, 32%. Now uh, the new uh, target on the, on the table is a uh, uh, 40, four zero uh, percentage share. Uh, and additional measures also to, to simplify certain permitting processes, which is one of the hurdles uh, nowadays uh, to, to really, it takes simply a long time to, to implement uh, uh, things there. Uh, also on the table, new energy efficiencies, energy efficiency targets, uh, and they uh, are currently uh, still on the table there. Uh, 36 percentage for final and 39 percentage for primary energy consumption and also an obligation for the public sector to annually renovate uh, uh, at least 3% of its buildings. And uh, other things uh, like uh, new energy taxation also is on, on the table there. Now, uh, coming back to the, to the building uh, industry. So we need probably just to uh, recall, uh, you, said, you said it or you touched it in your uh, introduction already, John. Uh, today, buildings are responsible for uh, probably many people know this already out of the of the different uh, um, media that we have for about 40 for zero percent of EU's total energy consumption and for about 36 percentage of its greenhouse gas emissions from energy so this already tells something right so buildings are the the single largest energy consumer in Europe and uh, at present, about 35% of the EU buildings are over 50 years old. So they are already pretty old. And uh, almost 75% of this building stock is energy inefficient. So uh, this means already that the building sector has a crucial role in achieving the EU's energy and climate goals, of course. And uh, better and more energy efficient buildings can also help to improve the quality of life uh, of EU citizens. This is an additional benefit, of course, and bring additional uh, other benefits to the economy and uh, also the uh, society. So what does this mean now for the building? So Europe will need to change the way it heats, it cools buildings, not only to avert a climate crisis, but also to reduce its dependence on fossil fuels, for instance. So at the moment, energy efficiency uh, inefficient buildings, I must say, not efficient buildings. So energy inefficient buildings are not renovated fast enough. And uh, Europe still meets the majority of its heating demand with uh, uh, fossil uh, fuels. And uh, to to uh, underline this or to, to set the, the, the direction for all this, uh, of course, an important part of the legislative package is really related to buildings, just to to make uh, two examples, uh, there is a, a total update of the energy efficiency directive or even an, or also an update of the so-called energy performance of building directives. And 
I guess all these figures and uh, and uh, the the knowledge that the buildings have a, a strong contribution or a big say there, this uh, I guess really underlines the relevance also for the for the buildings and building sector generally. Yeah, I understand and completely agree. And, and you mentioned right there the the energy performance of buildings directive. So this EPBD topic is something that uh, I think as an industry there's been a lot of conversation about and I think it's a really important thing through this conversation for us all to recognise. It's just one part of of a, a far bigger uh, green deal and, and is also not the only part that we have to consider and take into account when we're talking about uh, about buildings and we're talking about the, the energy efficiency and the efficient operation and reduction of, of that output via the building sector. So you mentioned here, we just had a, a great summary and, and within your, your summary of the, the Fit for 55, which is focused at 2030, many, many different aspects. So, so maybe we can look at a couple of examples. Could, could you give us a few examples of, of some things uh, that we need to be aware of as a building industry over the next years, you know, leading up to, to 2030? What's a couple of examples of situations that, uh, that, that, that will directly affect and set expectations for the building industry here in Europe? Yes, yes, happy to do so. So uh, we said uh, buildings need to contribute to, to this overarching target of the minus 55. And uh, then for uh, individual sectors, there are uh, also individual targets set out there. Now, uh, in relation to the buildings, the, the objective is basically uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 60, 60 percent. So meaning there must be a stronger contribution than the average there from the buildings, for instance. The energy consumption uh, uh, must be uh, uh, reduced by uh, 14, one, four percentage. So there, there are really indicative targets out there for the buildings, for instance, also for the uh, the uh, renewable energy, what uh, I was saying, is is now at, uh, set out at forty uh, percent. Now, when it comes to building, the indicative target is forty nine percent. So even more stringent, also for the buildings. So these are really uh, important elements that relate now to the to the uh, building sector and uh, how to achieve now the, all these targets of this Fit for Fifty Five package. Also in relation to buildings, we must of course ensure that across the different directives. Uh, affecting the buildings and their energy performance, kind of a coherent uh, and robust framework uh, uh, is created. Uh, so that allows us to 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 lead or, or bring us on the path on the way to an, a zero emission building stock by 2015. So the individual revisions of this legislative uh, framework, uh, such as the energy performance of buildings directive we quickly have touched or the renewable energy directive, they outline a roadmap with certain milestones that need to be fulfilled even prior to 2030. We talked a little bit about the 2030 target, which is uh, a main milestone, but there are also in-between milestones. And uh, given the requirements are not uh, usually not implemented just overnight, there is, of course, an urgency, urgency already to act now. Let me give you just a, a few uh, examples of, uh, uh, of elements that are in this uh, legislative framework. There is a requirement, uh, for instance, to achieve a minimum of, of energy performance standards, uh, what is called MEPS also, with a timeline of 2027, for instance. There are requirements for mandatory capabilities for buildings, which 
HVAC capacity over 290 kilowatt. And they, these requirements call for action uh, with a timeline 2025 already. So even uh, also before 2030. Another element uh, that is also part, and it's uh, it's also interesting in relation to building, all the existing buildings need to be electrical vehicle ready by 2035 in this case, but with intermediate uh, targets uh, also for 25 and 2030. So this means really what you see here is, is uh, in this directive, you see all the sort of a roadmap towards the, the 30, but even beyond targets. Yeah, I understand. And even those couple of examples you just gave, um, the, the mandatory capabilities, the expectations for how you can operate and report on a building that has an HVAC capacity over 290 kilowatts, the, the every ex or all existing buildings to be EV ready by 2035. Uh, you know, these, these, as you mentioned, are, are goals in the direction of where we need to be, but certainly not the, the final goal. And, and when, it, when you, Talk about those two in particular, but but also many others, I assume. Uh, if we're building a new building, we can take this design factor in. Uh, you know, many new buildings have EV charging stations, etc. How about existing buildings? What are the implications for our existing building stock? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. Uh, so, uh, uh, but just recall quickly, I mentioned about these different areas. And uh, uh, just to come back on one specific area that I mentioned was the building and renovating. So basically, uh, it was really recognized that this is an important uh, uh, area, an important pillar for contribution. So the, the commission recognized the need to develop basically a cleaner construction sector and to start a wave uh, uh, of building renovation to help people cut their energy bills on one hand, uh, but uh, of course uh, to decrease their energy use uh, on the other hand. So this is why there is uh, that there was defined a kind of a, a renovation wave strategy, uh, which aims to improve the energy performance of buildings leading to higher energy and resource efficiency. And uh, one of the topics in there is to at least double, generally spoken, the renovation rate of 2030. We have heard before that there are uh, also particularities with public and not public with the 3% I mentioned, but the generally to double the renovation rate, which uh, honestly spoken is not sufficient anyway. Uh, it needs to be even, even more. And, uh, and one topic that was uh, evaluated by the commission uh, is really that uh, they should, or the claim is uh, that they, they are out uh, basically 35 million buildings that need to be uh, renovated. So what this means is that renovation per se is really a key element on the agenda and, uh, and even substantial funding is foreseen for this also. So what does this mean if 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 we are not uh, not fulfilling basically the or, or not walking nicely along the past here? Uh, basically, it means missing missing the train. It means means also missing the financial contributions. This is one effect. One could maybe live with this, yes. But the worst impact is basically that if uh, uh, someone is not complying with the requirements uh, laid out there, so uh, there is a big risk to being left with so-called stranded assets. And uh, stranded assets means assets that have a less worth, right? And uh, from that point uh, in time, uh, investors are no longer interested in, in, in these uh, buildings anymore. So uh, such uh, uh, properties would basically also not be included anymore in sustainability funds and uh, would be rated simply lower. So this is uh, the, the, why they are stranded assets, right? And then if you look into the rents, maybe you can also see that uh, then uh, you, you, of course, can, can ask less. Uh, the prices will drop, drop uh, for for so-called stranded assets or not non-performing buildings, 
while it might uh, also increase if sustainability goals are met. And uh, another topic that might come up, it's or even always is more prominently put on the table, is that uh, at some point in time there might even be penalties for not being compliant. I understand. So, so not just the, the expectation from a regulatory perspective, but also a big risk as a as a building owner, as an investor, or whatever it might be. Leo, thanks so much for the insight. Um, there is so much to unpack from here, so we definitely need to have some more discussions. I feel. Uh, but, but quickly, before we, we finish, let, let's say this overview, 2030 is just around the corner. I think we discussed a little bit already today. We're already halfway through almost 2022. Uh, what are the biggest challenges? How are we going to get here as an industry to, to reach these Fit for 55 goals? What, what's getting in our way? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, it's uh, it's around the corner, as you said. So it's it's really not far away. And and we heard also ambitions are really very high. So so the 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 crucial point is really the time to act. Time to act is 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 really of essence. So uh, let me just maybe mention a couple of points now uh, regarding the the challenges that are there. Uh, there are many, of course, but uh, one of the topics is, and I, I started uh, uh, from that corner with the Paris Agreement. As we know now, this is a, a global agreement. So it's important that uh, climate action is taken commonly uh, all over the globe. Uh, it doesn't help if just one party is uh, uh, is compliant. So one party alone is not saving the planet. So this is certainly one thing that, uh, on a global perspective, things must work uh, hand in hand. Then there are other uh, challenges that uh, also uh, are not always planable or foreseeable, uh, like uh, topics on the geopolitical or macroeconomic developments that uh, need also to be considered. And uh, this means that also the the actions inside such green deals uh, could be or are even uh, quite dynamic and need to be adapted to still achieve the targets and smoothly balance between the main, um, let's come back to the energy policy pillars. So the, the, the main pillars, which are sustainability, security of supply and competitiveness. I mean, we, we just, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, something has been triggered right now and it was last week. So meaning middle middle of, of May, there uh, uh, was set out the so-called Repower EU plan. And this was mainly triggered by the ongoing war in the Ukraine. So what does this Repower EU plan uh, uh, Tell this is a plan to repower Europe and to reduce and uh, ultimately end Europe Europe uh, reliance on Russian Russian fuels, and this is something that was not originally uh, like this in the plan, right? And uh, and this means also that uh, in this frame uh, with these new conditions, even the the Fit for 55 package uh, framework could be revised. Uh, which which poses per se another challenge because the fit for 55 package uh, uh, this is still uh, in in partly in negotiations and needs to be agreed upon by the european parliament and the council and uh, when i was mentioning the repower eu plan before as a as an example part of this plan is even to go uh, for high even higher ambitions in terms of renewable energy caused by this uh, uh, war uh, that, that, that unfortunately we, we face nowadays. So uh, I was always talking about this 40% renewable, right? Right now, uh, there is even a proposal on the 30, 45% on the table. And uh, this is just part of the other challenge I was saying. I mean, this 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 directives, they must still be uh, agreed commonly uh, with, the, with the common targets uh, in, in a quite dynamic world as well. In addition to this, 
uh, once this is agreed, then they must be transposed in the in, in national legislation, national laws, which also takes time. So uh, time is another challenge that is uh, uh, is around. Uh, maybe another point, uh, not only a challenge, but also to, to mention also some, par some parts of opportunities. Uh, there is also a huge amount of so-called uh, new green jobs that, uh, that we will, will face uh, in, in the near future. And uh, uh, maybe the challenging part is to, to build up, uh, in addition, required new skill set. But uh, the, the good side of the thing is also that there is some dynamics in, in new opportunities as well. Uh, as well. So in short, there is a lot to be done, uh, a considerable effort from both lawmakers and the industry, uh, I would say, is required. Uh, but uh, in this context, the EU Green Deal is kind of perfectly placed to bring uh, about the necessary shifts in Europe and, and beyond as well. I understand. Hey, Leo, thanks again for, for your insight. I have one last question for you, and that is to somehow summarize, we, we've covered a, a huge amount of of, uh, of let's call it distance today. We've covered a lot of, of space, many, many different topics, and we certainly will talk more uh, to deep dive a little bit. But if you had to summarize uh, for, for our industry from a building industry perspective, if you had to give a, a call to action to key stakeholders, so here investors, uh, owners, operators, uh, planners, consultants, uh, system integrators, and, and all the different stakeholders, installers that we have across our industry, what would your call to action be to them? Yeah, I mean, the sustainable building practices uh, are growing. We understand this now out of this discussion, but uh, what we also understood, uh, definitely not fast enough. So uh, my call to action basically is investing in renovation, modernization, and efficiency upgrades, especially for existing buildings and infrastructures. This, this is needed and uh, even more so, or the good news is it pays off for the building owner by way of return on investment. So this is the nice thing on this on this part here. So it's it's not only investment, but really you really uh, have also the, the return on investment. Just really once more, uh, it's it's time to act, and it's it's really uh, time to act in in renovation, and this is an attractive uh, uh, investment also for the for the building owner, uh, and uh, this is really the uh, what what would be part of my call to action here. Yeah, it's a great call to action. Thanks, Leo. And hey, I think um, not only is it, it does it pay back and it makes sense from a, a building owner's perspective, but like you discussed before, at some point, this will also be somehow mandatory and an expectation. So uh, the faster that we can act, the faster that those conversations can start, the better. And and in previous discussions I've had, you know, sustainability is such an important topic, decarbonisation, such an important topic for us as an industry. And in previous discussions, you know, I always pick up uh, the, the importance of that partnership. It's such a complex uh, scope that we talk about when we talk about decarbonisation, sustainability and energy efficiency. Finding that right partner is always a, a huge step in the right direction. So an important call to action. Thanks, Leo. Hey, and, and thank you so much. Uh, absolute pleasure. I look forward to more conversations. Uh, but, but firstly, thanks so much for your time and your expertise. It's very much appreciated. And thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks a lot to you, John. It's a pleasure. And a big thank you also to those out there who are listening to us. Please remember to like, share or comment this episode. Uh, please Remember also to subscribe, whether it's uh, your favorite podcast platform or wherever you found this episode, subscribe. We have new episodes coming regularly and definitely some more conversations together with Leo about the European Green Deal and the specific uh, legislations and regulations that are coming around the building industry as part of that scope. So until then, look out for those new episodes and we'll see you again soon.